Welcome to this episode of Out of the Best Books, the podcast where we deep dive into classic literature and have conversations about what we've learned and discovered along the way. We love all things books and reading, and we want to share our love of the classics with you. We hope to inspire you to read along with us and join in the conversation. I'm Amity. And I'm Laura. Now let's get talking about the classics. All right, we're about to head into the last chapter, which is, oh, so good. <laughs> so good. And there's a lot to it. To me, it was so applicable to like the things I'm learning in life right now. I just, I just loved it. I don't know how you feel about this, but I would like to read the three paragraphs. In the beginning, it talks about thoughts and then kind of how Mary's thoughts affected how she was and how she came out of it. And then also Colin. Yeah, I wrote so much down there and I think... It might be really good to even start with that first paragraph. Is that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah. The first um, paragraph of the chapter. Yeah. The author says, in this new century, hundreds of things still more astounding will be brought to light. At first, people refuse to believe that a strange new thing can be done. Then they begin to hope it can be done. Then they see it can be done. Then it is done. And all the world wonders why it was not done centuries ago. That's so interesting, right? Again, very insightful, like everything in this book, because it's so true. How many times do we think that? How long has the world been around and why are so many discoveries just being made in like the last 200 years? We always, really my weird. husband and I always talk about how we, I feel like we're living in the future. We order our groceries and go pick them up. We can look anything up on the computer that we want. I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> and you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but as a teenager, these things were just starting to come out and just how far we've come. We were telling the kids the other day, when you wanted to go to a movie, you would call a phone number and listen to the times listed. <laughs> and had to write them down. I had all. Almost forgotten about that. That's true. Well, when I was little, like I had no idea what the internet was. It was sort of a new thing when I was little. And my dad was a computer programmer. He sort of was like right there at the cutting edge of things. But even so, like, it's not like the internet was really a thing when we were little. Yeah. We always so. tell the kids, like, I remember the first time I saw the, what they called the World Wide web. Yeah. And it was something the teachers in my high school had on their computers and we'd never heard of it. We didn't know. Anyways, it's just incredible where we've come yeah. since just even then. It goes into one of the new things people began to find out in the last century was that thoughts, just mere thoughts are as powerful as electric batteries, as good for one as sunlight is or as bad for one as poison. <laughs> so true. Then she says to let a sad thought or a bad one get into your mind is as dangerous as letting a scarlet fever germ get into your body. If you let it stay there after it has got in, you may never get over it as long as you live. I mean, how insightful is that? Very. It's really interesting, this thought that our thoughts really can take over our entire body. And it actually makes me think about Dale Carnegie's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. I don't know if you've read that book, but he talks about how when people worry so much about things, it literally can kill them. There were people that he knew and I don't, he kind of studied in a way that they gave themselves stomach ulcers and were like on the brink of just nervous breakdowns, or sometimes they did have nervous breakdowns simply because they worried about everything and they really let their thoughts completely consume them, their minds, their bodies, and so much is determined by our thoughts. 
I mean, it's incredible. And I think that we're kind of, I don't know, like I said, I think earlier that it's just kind of coming out again. We're figuring this out. This was like an idea that was coming up back when this book was written, but mm-hmm. it's kind of a new thing. Do you want to read the part about Mary, about her thoughts and how it affected what was going on? So long as Mistress Mary's mind was full of disagreeable thoughts about her dislikes and sour opinions of people and her determination not to be pleased by or interested in anything, she was a yellow-faced, sickly, bored, and wretched child. Circumstances, however, were very kind to her, though she was not at all aware of it. They began to push her about for her own good. So it's really talking about how she was very fortunate. She's one of the fortunate ones that circumstances worked in her favor, that maybe it was difficult for a minute, this stretching and this growing, but it really pulled her out of what would otherwise sort of a bottomless pit. When her mind gradually filled itself with robins and moorland cottages crowded with children, with queer crabbed old gardeners and common little Yorkshire housemaids, with springtime and with secret gardens coming alive day by day, and also with a moor boy and his creatures, there was no room left for her disagreeable thoughts, which affected her liver and her digestion and made her yellow and tired. So she crowded out all the negative thoughts with all these sweet and good and beautiful thoughts. There's why she was yellow. Yeah, because her liver was affecting her liver. Her liver was unhealthy because she had jaundice. Circumstances were kind to her and she wasn't aware of it. And a thought that I've learned recently is like everything is working for me in my favor, even when things are are rough or you know, if we have that direction, that idea in the back of our mind, this might seem bad, but everything in the universe is going to work out in my favor. I mean, think about her. If if her parents wouldn't have died and she would have stayed there, she never would have had this growth. She would have just, I don't know, like imagine what, how she would have grown up with no love and she would have just kept spiraling downwards. So it didn't seem at the time like this was in her favor, but it was. (laughs) And then Colin, so long as Colin shut himself up in his room and thought only of his fears and weakness and his detestation of people who looked at him and reflected hourly on humps and early death. He was a hysterical, half-crazy little hypochondriac who knew nothing of the sunshine and the spring and also did not know that he could get well and could stand upon his feet if he tried to do it. When life began to come back to him, his blood ran healthily through his veins and strength poured into him like a flood. His scientific experiment was quite practical and simple and there was nothing weird about it at all. Much more surprising things can happen to anyone who... When a disagreeable or discouraged thought comes into his mind, just has the sense to remember in time and push it out by putting in an agreeable, determinedly courageous one. Two things cannot be in one place. And then she has the quote, when you tend a rose, my lad, a thistle cannot grow. Where you tend a rose, thistles cannot grow. I love it. So beautiful. And it also takes me to the pretty well-known scripture that you cannot serve two masters. And that really is true across the board. And in the scriptures, it's talking about how you can't serve God and mammon, but you can't serve positive thoughts and negative thoughts. You can't give your energy to both. You have to give your energy to one or the other. And that affects all of your outcomes. Which I think is why like a gratitude practice is so important. When you're looking for gratitude, you can't be also looking at the negative. I don't know, kind of overcrowds it. Those three paragraphs at the beginning of that chapter are just fantastic. Boom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here's where I've been going with this whole thing. (laughs) Exactly. So then we jump to Archibald Craven, who is in the Norwegian Fords and the valleys and mountains of Switzerland. So he's traveling, which makes me think, can't be that sickly. He's out 
traveling the world could also be in his mind, right? So it said that he was a man who for 10 years had kept his mind filled with dark and heartbroken thinking. He had not been courageous. He had never tried to put any other thoughts in the place of the dark ones. And so he's sitting up on a ledge edge of a mountain and he's looking down. I think he looks at some blue forget-me-nots and something clicks in his brain. He has like a tender thought that he hadn't had before. Yeah. It talks about how he gradually felt his mind and body both grow quiet, as quiet as the valley itself. And unless you want to, we don't have to read the whole thing, but it really, she puts you in this place of stillness and quiet. It's like time is frozen for him for a moment. He's just completely at peace. I think it even says in there, it's just, it's this moment of calmness. And he says, what is this? I almost feel as if I were alive, which indicates that all this time for 10 years, he's been feeling as dead as his wife is. And he really has been behaving that way. It says later on that he hasn't tried to be a bad father. He just didn't know how to be a father, but really he's been kind of a horrible father. He's got this sweet little boy who he's completely neglected for 10 years because he's been mourning for 10 years. And so all of a sudden, He says, I almost feel as if I were alive. Later, she realizes that at just that moment is right when Colin had cried out as he went into the secret garden, I'm going to live forever and ever and ever. And that's just really sweet. Even though he hasn't been the best father, there's still this spiritual connection between he and his son. He wants good things for his son. He just kind of didn't know how to go about it. And it was too painful. So he has this like experience and he thinks... It says, but of course he did not think of this himself. It just kind of happens and he kind of moves on. So it says he starts sleeping better. He has that dream where his wife is calling to him. Oh, I know, right? I had never thought of this as a crying book. But when I went through this chapter again last night, this part just got me good. It really (laughs) did. So anyway, go ahead. It's so sweet. And he's really alert in his dream and he feels Mm -hmm. really awake. I mean, here's his wife calling and she says she's in the garden. And then they must be soon after the next day, he gets a letter from Mrs. Sowerby and she tells him, if I were you, I would come home. (laughs) And she says in the letter, I think your lady would ask you to come if she was here. Yeah. And the timing is just impeccable because he just had this dream where, well, his wife calls him and says, Archie, Archie. And he's like, Lilius, where are you? She says, in the garden. I'm in the garden. And then Mrs. Sowerby sends this letter that's like, your wife would want you to come back. (laughs) That was sign enough for him. Yeah. So he goes immediately, he goes home, he makes preparations and he, he goes home. He thinks about how he was as a father with Colin when he was a child and wonders if he had done wrong all these years. But then he decides he's going to go visit Mrs. Sowerby before he goes home. When she gets there, she's not home. She's helping deliver a baby somewhere. And he sees the children, her children bobbing up and down. So he gives them money, which I had to look that up. But uh, it was like a golden sovereign, which is a coin. And he tells the oldest girl is what he gives it to her. He tells her to divide it into eight parts. So he gets home to his actual house and he asks Mrs. Medlock about Colin and she doesn't know what to say. She says, he's different in a manner of speaking. And Mr. Craven says, is he worse? And she's like, he might be. I know. She can't give him a direct answer because judging by their food trays, she's like, well, he's not eating anything, but he's sure healthy. And I mean, like he's getting fatter and going outside. 
So I don't know what to tell you. Basically. Yeah, she says he has become more peculiar. They had tried so hard to get him to go outside without warning. And not long after one of his worst tantrums, he suddenly insisted on being taken out every day by Miss Mary and Susan Sowerby's boy, Dickon, that could push the chair. He doesn't even question why they know about each other. That's like, true. I yeah. thought, thought that was funny. He's like, okay. He just takes it. Like, okay. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wasn't his instructions to like, I mean, maybe he wasn't the one that said keep them apart, but that's possible. It know. may not have been him because remember, it's Colin that's like, no one's allowed to talk about me or look at me or anything. And so it was probably like Mrs. Medlock was like, well, it's probably best to keep Mary away because she'll want to look at him and yeah. <laughs> talk about him. And I thought this was funny that Mr. Craven asks how he looks and she says, well, I think he might be bloated. He's not eating. And she tells him that Colin is out in the garden. And so he sends her away and he starts walking slowly out to the garden. And he kind of, as he gets closer and closer, he gets slower and slower. And he knew where the door was, but he didn't know where the buried key was. So he's standing outside the walls and he hears a noise in the garden. It said scuffling feet, suppressed voices. And it sounded like children that were laughing and then trying to muffle their laugh. They just couldn't help it to burst out with their they were just so happy and so then a boy bursts out of the door at full speed right into his arms you know and he he knows immediately that it's Colin he holds him back and looks at him and Colin's like this isn't how I planned it (laughs) and he'd been planning it so carefully totally didn't pull it off the way he wanted to I think that he says that somehow it's fine is that right probably yeah but he's like this is not how I planned it I wasn't expecting this and the funny thing is he had he was in a race with Mary that's Mm -hmm. why he came running out of the garden and later he says that he can beat her yeah (laughs) and Colin introduces himself to his dad as if he doesn't know him which of course he knows who he is then he says it is the garden that did it and Mary and Dickon and the creatures and the magic no one knows we kept it to tell you when you came I'm well. I can beat Mary in a race. There there it is. I'm going to be an athlete. (laughs) Mr. Craven's soul shook with unbelieving joy. Aren't you glad, Father? Aren't you glad? I'm going to live forever and ever and ever. And then Mr. Craven says, take me into the garden and show me everything. And I just can't. Can you imagine how proud the kids are? Oh, yeah. This is this is what they've been working and planning for. What what could be better? Yes. He tells them his father the whole story. And I like that they call him the athlete, the lecturer, the scientific discoverer. He was a laughable, lovable, healthy, young human thing. Yeah. Do you have anything else before we go to like the very end here? It kind of the book is a little bit like, and they walk back to the house. I know, I know. <laughs> but I do love how Ben Weatherstaff, he kind of decides to go back to the house ahead of everybody else because he's not going to give anything away, but he's going to kind of hint at it. So he goes into the kitchen and is Mrs. Medlock is like, did you see them? He's like, yeah, I saw them. Both of them, both of them together, together. <laughs> Where's Master Colin? How do you look? What'd they say to each other? He's like, I don't know. Anyway, And then finally, he kind of gets his moment, which you know that he had wanted to do. And he's like, look out the window. Yeah, he probably wanted to be in there with the house staff. I think so. Their reaction. But yeah, he's like, look out there. Look what's happening. And they see the two of them walking toward the house. Good ending, right? (laughs) So beautiful and powerful. And I love it. I know. I I just... I think this has changed my, this book especially has changed my mind about, I'm kind of a consumer. Like I, Mm. I read books really fast. I feel like this experience of reading it slow and diving deep has been very rewarding. And it makes me think, maybe I should read less books. (laughs) 
and just actually, enjoy them more. Actually take yeah. them in. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. And reading these books deep makes me so wonder about the author. To me, it's so interesting. I mean, with other books, I just, modern books and stuff, I just go from one to the next. Sometimes I'll watch like a YouTube video. There's a YouTube channel called Friends in Fiction. Well, it's like a group. And they... It's like four authors that interview other authors. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll watch and and hear about their lives and then be interested in reading their book, which is interesting. But like this, it's like, oh, I want to know about her. What else did she write? What, What was going on in her life? So what I understand, and I know that there's a lot more that we could learn and read about her, but just sort of a a brief rundown is I know that she was born in Manchester, England, and I believe that her father died. And when her father died, her mother moved them all to Tennessee. So they go from, they go from Manchester to Tennessee, USA. What a huge change. When she was there, she was just a young teenager when she started doing her first writing because she realized that she loved to write and she could write. And that was a way that she could make some money. Let's see. She was just 15 when she wrote the one I knew the best of all. And she sent it to a major women's magazine. And she's like, if you don't like it, just send it back. You know, but I think that they did like it and they started publishing her works. And then her first big book was published in 1886. And that was Little Lord Fauntleroy. And it was one that I don't know if it's read as much today. It's a wonderful, joyful little book. Um, But at the time, it was so popular. It was, uh, to me, kind of the Harry Potter of the day because apparently there were people who wrote plays based on Little Lord Fauntleroy. They had playing cards and toys. and, And they also, like, she describes Little Lord Fauntleroy's outfits really well in the book. And so they, let's see, like tailors and seamstresses designed little boys' clothes based on the book very popular at the time. I thought she also wrote romantic adult novels, several of them. Like she wrote less children's literature than she wrote these adults. Maybe nowadays she's more known for the writing for children. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I'm not familiar with any of her um, adult novels, but it would be interesting to look into them. Me neither. She wrote A Little Princess, which I loved, at least that movie with Shirley Temple. My grandpa bought us a cassette of her whatever you call it, videotape of it when we were little. And we watched that over and over Mm. and over. Loved it. So good. And the book is so good. Well, so she was obviously born Frances Hodgson, and then she married Dr. Swan Burnett in 1873. And they had two sons. And she actually based Cedric Errol, who's Little Lord Fauntleroy. Let's see, on Vivian. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, on Vivian, which you hear that you think it's a girl. It is actually a boy. But then actually she based Colin Craven on Lionel, Mm. who was her son who was born. Like he had consumption and he actually passed away when he was 15. Yeah. And so that's, I thought that was really interesting that she writes Colin as this character who is very sickly, but he gets better and is able to live forever and ever, as he says. But she'd Ah. experienced the loss of her sweet little boy at 15 because of consumption, which is something that is curable today, but not at the time. That is so interesting. Yeah. She's almost writing it as if I wish. Exactly. So we talked earlier about Moulin Rouge. So the main character, which is Nicole Kidman in that movie, she dies of consumption. You should watch that. I know it's very I think weird. I'm going to have to. <laughs> okay. Sydney showed it to her friend last night and she said, you got to give this a minute because it's strange. 
Okay. And maybe not watch it with your kid. Oh, okay. But. Oh, that's funny. Okay. It's good. And Ewan McGregor is like, he sings and he has that. Oh, that's right. He has the best male voice I have ever heard in my life. Ever. Really? Yeah, oh go. my gosh. I did not expect that. So anyway, not, this doesn't have anything to do with the book. Although there's a Maharaja in it and like she dies of consumption. So there's my tie in. Awesome. So something interesting too, is that she actually divorced her first husband and it sounds like she kind of had an affair with her secretary. (laughs) Yeah. And, but that did not last very long. So it's kind of, that's really sad. She evidently did really well from all of her writing because she had a home in England and a home on Long Island. She had this beautiful garden and, and that's kind of like when she was writing the secret garden. Yeah, I I love that, that she was actually working on a garden when she was writing this. What I thought would have been fun, I wish I would have thought of this at the beginning, is to make a list of all the flowers that she mm. mentions. Yeah, that it. would have been, yeah, that would be a really good idea. <laughs> it was a lot. So she wrote Little Lord Fauntlery, mm-hmm. The Little Princess. And then have you read or heard of The Lost Prince? That sounds familiar to me. That sounds familiar, but I have not read it. So there's a big long list of stuff she's written, but those are the ones that I know about. Yeah, we'll have to track down some more. We talk about what makes a classic a classic. And these are the three that have endured. Lord Fauntleroy, Secret Garden, and A Little Princess. I think that there's a huge reason why. I mean, we could probably read the others and find lots of wonderful things in them, but these have endured. There's so so much depth to all three of them. Yeah. Maybe that's like what her, her talent was writing for children, maybe. And that's why they stood the test of time and we're still reading them today. There's this one quote that she said that I think ties everything up really beautifully. And she said, as long as one has a garden, one has a future. And as long as one has a future, one is alive. I love that. And I think it, it kind of perfectly sums up the secret garden and yes. her books that are similar, or you, if you liked this book, you might want to check these out. We talked about Jane Eyre earlier, how it was, this was like a children's kind of version of Jane Eyre. Do you remember there was one? And that- also Wuthering Heights. So Wuthering both Heights. of the Bronte sisters, big and kind of dark and dreary novels. This is sort of a happier version of those. Yeah. So I found... Mandy by Julie Andrews Edwards. And Julie Andrews is the Julie Andrews, like the the amazing Julie Andrews. She actually wrote, I think she wrote a couple of books. But yeah, I think so. All the books that came up for me were about orphans. So mm-hmm. like Mary, but Mandy's a 10-year-old orphan that discovers an abandoned cottage in the woods behind her orphanage. And she works to make it her own and borrows things from the orphanage that she needs and keeps it a secret. But one night she gets sick and nobody knows where to find her. So that's kind of the premise of. Oh, interesting. I know. I want to, I've read like half of it and I, maybe I'll read it to Presley. She might be interested. Yeah. I'll have to look into that one. Uh, The other ones I thought of were Anne of Green Gables and Emily of New Moon, which we all know the story of Anne of Green Gables about an orphan, right? I'm sure everybody that's lived (laughs) knows about that. You're living and breathing. You have to know something about Anne of Green Gables. Exactly. Um, Emily of New Moon is the first book in the Emily Star series, which is a trilogy. And it tells the story of an orphaned girl using her wit and courage to face the harsh world. I think this would be an interesting one to do someday. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the idea of doing books that are by authors we know, but not the books we know. And then also... It's free on Audible if you have Amazon Prime. That's cool. kind of interesting. So, so wait, who is the author of Emily? 
Emil and Montgomery. It's the same as. Oh, okay. I did not realize that. That's cool. And some people like the Emily series better than Anne of Green Gables. Now that you say that, I'm like, you know what? I feel like maybe I heard a booktuber talking about it. Okay. I've read, I've read, um, oh, maybe the first two or three Anne of Green Gables. Mm -hmm. And then I've read The Blue Castle. So that's so good. So the two I've read of hers or several, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I'll do one more and then you can go. I Captured the Castle by Dodie Smith. Now this is really interesting. So this is the first novel that was classified as YA and it was published in 1948. She also wrote 101 Dalmatians. Oh my gosh. Okay, cool. I know. I write like, I love this. I'm learning so much about things I didn't know. This book is about Sandra, who's a 17-year-old girl that's the youngest daughter in a family of impoverished artists. And she is falling in love for the first time, but it's with the same man as her older sister. No, in 1948. I know. That's the thing I was going to say is like, that's kind of an interesting plot for 1948. Yeah. Another one I want to read. (laughs) Cool. Tell me the name of that one again. I Capture the Castle. I heard about it on a podcast recently. And then okay. I, when I Googled books that were similar, I was like, oh, I'd heard, I just heard about that. And I think uh-huh. they mentioned that she'd written 101 Dalmatians, which is really so awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So for this one, I, yeah, I really racked my brain and I just had a hard time coming up with others, but I think that your list was really good. And the one that I came up with, though, was Understood Betsy by Dorothy Canfield Fisher. It was written, I want to say, around the same time as The Secret Garden. It is about an orphan who is raised by her aunt in the city. And her aunt just, like, coddles her so much. Like, she won't let her walk to school on her own. She uh, does everything for her helps her get dressed, makes all her meals, cleans her room, makes her bed, like does all these, everything for her. So, and she's not a brat, you know, she's not spoiled, but she's completely reliant on everybody else. She can't do anything for herself. And so in a way her aunt has created this little completely disabled person who could be capable. Like there's no reason for her to do that except their aunt like doesn't want anything bad to ever happen to her. And so she like tries to create this bubble around her. Some things happen and her aunt has to sort of put her focus on her mother. And so Betsy goes to live with other family who lives on the East coast on a farm. And in this family, and it's on a farm, everybody carries their weight. So like the evolution of Betsy, as she learns that she's capable and she can do hard things and she has to learn so much, but, but she learns how to make butter and how to milk cows and how to take care of smaller children and how to bake and and how to, you know, speak up for herself and, and all these things. And so it's really, it's great. It's a really good book. That sounds interesting. I don't know why I was picturing like Rebecca of Sunnybrook farm when you were talking about it. Oh Yeah. Well, that would be another good one. So. So, and then I have two modern ones that are like mm. kind of retellings, which I thought were interesting. One is Return to the Secret Garden by Holly Webb. And Emmy Hatton is an orphan at the Craven Home for Orphaned Children, where her only friend is a little black kitten that visits her on the fire escape every day. And then all these orphaned children in this home are evacuated from London because of the war. She is forced to go to this Misselthwaite Manor. <laughs> 
So they have to go to Miss Thwaite Manor. And this story includes a gruff gardener, an inquisitive little robin. And then in the cold nights at this Miss Thwaite Manor, she discovers a boy crying at night and a diary written by a girl named Mary. And a special secret garden. Oh, cute. That sounds fun. I think that would be really fun. I should have brought it out with me but because uh, I have it from the library. And then the other one is uh, um, The Secret Garden on 81st Street by Ivy Noel Weir, spelled W-E-I-R. Mm-hmm. And this is a graphic novel and it's a modern retelling of The Secret Garden. So they say that video games and technology are Mary Lennox's main source of entertainment, but her parents are killed in a tragic accident and she has to move to New York City to live with her uncle who she barely knows and who keeps a gadget free home. (laughs) She begins looking for comfort in this strange new reality and she discovers an abandoned rooftop garden and an even bigger secret in an upstairs bedroom, which I think happens to be a cousin named Colin. (laughs) So it is a completely modern retelling. Yes. That's also fun. Yes. And and it's a graphic novel. I Mm. struggle with graphic novels. Me too kids wouldn't I don't know my kids really like graphic novels I don't know why exactly and maybe I haven't given them a great chance because I could see how if you're like a super visual learner maybe that would be great and there are some good ones out there I know they've taken a lot of like there's the odyssey made as a graphic novel and beowulf as a graphic novel but also all the Nathan Hale books which are kind of fantastic and my boys like inhale those so (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't get it. And even people I follow that are our age and, you know, are readers. I don't know if you ever follow everyday reading. She's um like, oh, yeah, I've a, seen that. I've seen yeah, that. she did a reel where she gave a bunch of Halloween books. So I like immediately get on the library website and reserve them, you know, but she has recommended some and I've tried them. Like one was called Hoops and I just... I don't know. I struggle, but the kids like them. Yeah. So if, yeah, if a child liked or was interested in the secret garden, they might like the graphic novel. I want to hear what you're reading or what you've read. Okay. Recently. All right. So what I'm reading right now, uh, I'm, well, I'm listening to, it's called the lady and the Highwayman, And I guess it's this series. I, I just decided to try something kind of new, but it it's by Sarah M. Eden and it's set in Victorian England. It's, I mean, yeah, it's like around the time of Charles Dickens, I assume. And so it's about these authors and there's this, this society of writers that they write. And so you're kind of getting a couple stories at the same time. You're getting the story of the writers themselves and their interaction. There's probably going to be some romance in there, but then you also get their installments of their stories because they just write installments for the magazines and stuff, right? It's like a chapter at a time. And so it's kind of interesting. I like it. And then to my kids right now, we're reading 1001 Arabian Nights by Geraldine McCarrion. I hope I said it any right. It's her retelling of all the the classic Arabian Nights stories. And it's really cool. It's, they it's like interesting. It. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, they do. It goes with the history that we're studying right now. And so I think that that's helpful because we kind of read about the history and then they hear these stories that are kind of fun and interesting and quite horrifying and morbid at the same time. Some of them. It's a children's book, but it, it was a dark time. So. <laughs> Their idea of children's books at one time was. Yeah. So oh, how I about am, you? 
Well, I'm listening to A Boy and His Dog at the End of the World by C.A. Fletcher. And I think I heard about it on a podcast. And a lot of times I'll just then go immediately and reserve it. And then when it comes, I'm like, I don't know why I reserved this. But it's about, a. I'm like, oh, probably 20% in or something. But it's about after, kind of after the end of the world. And the end of the world is people just stop having children. So it's not like this you know, big disaster. They just kind of peter off. But this family lives on an island and they'll leave this island and go kind of forage in places where the people used to live. And so he would go, they would use their boats and go to a house and he's kind of writing to a boy that lived in a house that doesn't, he doesn't, the boy's gone. And he loves finding books about like an apocalypse because <laughs> he thinks it's funny that that this is what they thought would happen but that's not really how it happened so i'm just at the point where some person comes out to the island where they're living and takes his dog this guy just took his dog and so i don't know what he's gonna do but and his mother watched either watched or that her sister his sister fell off a cliff or something and died and so his mom doesn't speak anymore that's kind of interesting part of that I listen too fast. And so I'm thinking about slowing it down to like one and a half instead of 1.75 because he kind of talks fast. I I don't know if you know this or think this, but I think sometimes male narrators or male actors that read books read faster. I agree. I noticed that in another okay. book I was listening to because I've also decided to like slow mine way down. So I, I only listen to it at 1.25. But for a woman reading, it's usually, I'm like, yeah, I could push it up to one and a half, but I, I'm, it's fine. I'll just, you know, slow it down and, and just enjoy. But for men, I'm like, I might need to slow it down even more. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And it, maybe it just depends on the narrator, just the cadence that they keep. But I agree. I think most of the, the ones I've listened to narrated by men are just a lot faster. Yeah. And I'm like, what's my hurry? Why do I need to be at 1.75? I don't know. Cause I'm not enjoying it. That's the secret garden taught me that like slow yeah. down and enjoy it rather than yeah. catching a third of what's going on. Yeah. So anyways, and then I'm also reading, um, well, I'm list, I guess I'm listening to both of these, the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. It's a nonfiction book uh, mm-hmm. about like how to do a morning routine. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. And then I was also listening to the 5am club which I thought was going to be nonfiction. And I don't know what you would call it because it kind of is nonfiction, but it's written as fiction. It's like written in story form, but teaching you the concept of a morning routine. And so he says to do like 20 minutes of exercise, 20 minutes of reading and 20 minutes of meditation or thought, Mm -hmm. I don't know, thought work or something. I saw a YouTube video about the 5am club. So if you want to know Without spending six or seven hours listening to the book, you can look up a YouTube video and I'll tell you all the secrets of the 5 a.m. club. Okay. I'm just writing that down. It was really, it's interesting because I'm looking at like my morning and how to make the best use of my time because I only have probably an hour to do that stuff. Mm. So I'm just trying to like formulate a morning routine that's, yeah, that I want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that you can keep doing it. I want to set some goals. I'm trying to figure out how to set some health goals. It's complicated. Well, you probably need a few definite answers about your health first. Do you you set 
a goal that's like you're trying to achieve something, right? Like a certain amount of weight loss. Or do I set like a physical goal? Like I want to run a 5K by a certain date. Or do I, you know, just that kind of thing. How do I figure that out? And then 20 minutes of exercise may not be enough. (laughs) I guess that's the one thing, like I heard that and I was like, that wouldn't be, that's not very much exercise. No, it's definitely better than, yeah, it totally is. And that's better than nothing. Absolutely. But yeah, like a 20 minute walk, a 20 minute run, like, unless it was like a super hard run or I don't know, I'm just really hard strength training for 20 minutes, but it's hard to get in much strength training in 20 minutes. So I'm just trying to figure out what I'm willing to do that will give me the most results. So often that's exciting. Okay. So As we wrap up this week, we're excited to talk a little bit about what we're going to do next week. So next week is Thanksgiving. Yay. It's crazy that it's like almost here. It's wild. I know. What are you guys doing at Thanksgiving at home? We're actually going to go and join in with my sister's family. So yeah, we're going to my parents' house. So we're going to, we're going to celebrate Christmas with my family too. So it's like, yeah. So what's good about that is I have been given permission to listen to Christmas music at home because we're celebrating it in a couple of weeks. Hey, oh, get you I'm, in the mood. I know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it. So yeah, next week we thought that it would be fun since it's Thanksgiving, take a little break. We just finished up the secret garden today. So we're going to have our family come on and talk a little bit about their reading lives and what they like to read and tell us a little bit about them. Yeah. And most of them are going to talk about what they usually like to read and kind of highlight their favorite book that they've read recently. And some are just going to talk about books that they're working on. Some we're going to give suggestions to. So we kind of run the whole gamut, which is awesome. And with a group as large as ours, because we've roped our husbands in as well. It's kind of perfect that we have the whole spectrum of reading and reading. We have all the ages. We have like Mm -hmm. kids that like different genres and we have kids that don't like to read. So yeah. Well, maybe just one, but that's okay. It's great though. So it'll be super fun. It'll be fun. And grandmas and grandpas will love watching their grandkids. So we're doing it for them. (laughs) Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. We're so happy you joined us for this episode. We hope you will join us next week when we talk to our families about the books they love. If you have suggestions for books we should read and discuss, please email us at thebestbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. We want to inspire and encourage as many people as we can to read out of the best books. As Thoreau says, read the best books first, or you may not have a chance to read them at all. See you next week.